The stories of the Gospels tell of the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what comes next? What happened after the resurrection? While the disciples were still talking, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Good morning, and welcome to STSA Church Online, where I am here in my basement, and you are probably sitting in your living room or your family room, but thanks be to God, we are still together. We are still connected. We are still a family, and that's because what unites us together is so much greater than just our physical proximity. We are the body of Christ, and because of that, whether we are in person or online, we are still connected as one family, and nothing can ever, ever change that. And the reason I wanted to start off with that this morning is because we are in part three of a series called After the Resurrection. And what we're looking at is, is those 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, but before he ascended into heaven. And we're looking at what Jesus did during those 40 days. And what we are seeing is that during that time, Jesus didn't do a lot of miracles. Jesus didn't go out and preach to multitudes. Jesus wasn't with the Pharisees and telling them, you know, how, how they were misguided. Jesus spent those 40 days with his disciples doing one thing. And that one thing is spoken about in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3. St. Luke says it this way. It says, To whom he also presented himself alive, after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. It's that things pertaining to the kingdom of God that piques my interest. What do you think Jesus spoke about during this time? Wouldn't it be great if we knew? Well, the good news is, is we do know. We know what Jesus spoke about during these 40 days, even though it's not documented in the New Testament. Jesus spoke about during this time is the church, his mystical body, his body here on this earth. After his physical body was going to ascend into heaven, Jesus told us that he would not leave us orphans. He would be with us forever until the end of the ages. And after his physical body ascended, his mystical body began, okay? And that is the church. And that was the subject of those 40 days. And the reason why we know that is because after these 40 days, when Jesus ascended up into heaven, what did his disciples begin doing immediately? They began immediately preaching, not just the resurrection of Christ, not just believe and not just understand that he is risen from the dead, but believe and join his body, be part of his eternal family. There was a, a component of a personal belief, but there was also a component of a communal joining of being part of something special, part of something new, which hadn't existed up until that time. And that is the church. And when you're a part of that church, you have access to something special. You have access to the life of Christ. The same life of Christ, okay, when he was on this earth, Christ took bread, gave it to his disciples. You have access to that same bread, okay, which he said is my body. Same access to that bread, which is his body through the church. Access to the same forgiveness that he granted to so many people through the church access to the same healing, access to the same breath of the Holy Spirit that he gave to his disciples, all is made available to us through the church 
and what we call the sacraments. And that with this, that's what this series is all about. We're talking about the sacraments of the church or the word mysteries, and we'll use those two terms, two terms interchangeably. And we're talking about how it's through the sacraments that they're not just rituals. They're not just empty prayers. They're not just things that we go through the motions. They are the means by which we participate in the life of Christ. Yes, I said that, that we participate in the life of Christ. Or as St. Peter says in his second epistle, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. That is the primary purpose of the church, to invite us to participate in the life of Christ, to partake of the divine nature. The church exists to invite man, not just to be a man and not just to be himself, but to participate in something bigger than himself, which is the divine nature, the life of God himself. And that's why we can say with confidence, we are the body of Christ. We are Christ on this earth, not just because we believe in him, but because we participate in his life and we share his life through the mysteries. What we're doing here in this series is we're looking each week at a different sacrament. Last week we looked at priesthood, and I know a lot of people out there may be listening to this message and, and may struggle with the concept of priesthood. I encourage you to go online and check out that message. Maybe it'll open your eyes to a different view. Today we're going to talk about the next sacrament, which is actually the first sacrament, the one that we usually think of when it comes to the order, and that is the sacrament of baptism. The sacrament of baptism, oftentimes called the sacrament of illumination, or sometimes the sacrament of enlightenment, or the sacrament of the new birth. It's the sacrament where we are born spiritually, the same way we are born of a father and mother physically, we are born spiritually of a father and a mother, and that father is God, and the mother is our church, and that's why we are baptized in the church, because that's the womb of our mother. And it's fitting that we're discussing this today on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers who are out there watching. Okay, we wish you guys a great uh, day today and hope you have a relaxing uh, day. And if you are not a mother, uh, you probably have a mother. So please make sure that after, if you're in the same room with your mother, Go ahead and turn to her right now and say, happy Mother's Day, mom. Okay, give her one of those, you know, hugs or kisses or whatever it is that you do, or I love you. Give mom a little bit of special. And if you're not in the same room with your mom, please make sure afterwards that you give your mom a call um, just to say happy Mother's Day. We don't want to forget that because where would we be without our mothers? All right, all the love that y'all give to us, all the nurture, all the care, all the stuff that y'all taught us. Man, think about it. If it wasn't for our moms, we wouldn't know how to take the temp our, te our temperature with the back of our hand. Our moms taught us that. Our moms taught us how to heal boo-boos with a kiss. And most valuable for parents, moms taught us how to drive the car with one hand and how to discipline your kids and break up a fight with the other hand. That's what we learned from our moms among the myriad of things that they taught us. But one thing that we did not learn from our moms, <laughs> one thing that we did not learn from our moms. And in fact, in most cases, we probably had to talk to our moms and teach our moms how to do this. And that is mom texts. We're gonna talk about right now real quick is about how our moms, <laughs> right kids? 
How many kids out there watching this right now? Okay, you can be an adult kid and you can say the same thing. How many of you guys have received a text from your mom that made you just say, oh my goodness, roll your eyes. Oh my goodness, how embarrassing that my mom would text this. Look here, moms, we love you. We love you to death. We think the world of you, but there's some things that moms can't teach us that in fact, sometimes moms may need to learn from their children. And mom text is one of those areas. So since it's Mother's Day, and I believe the saying is that mockery is the greatest form of flattery. I think that's how the saying goes. Let's look at some examples from the, from the internet. Okay, these are not personal examples. Okay, none of these is my wife or my mom about some funny f mom texts, okay? And I'll leave them up on here on the screen so you can get them here. The first one, okay? I'll let you take a look at it right there. I think there's something wrong with my phone. I don't think my texts are going through. <laughs> yeah. So if you didn't get it, read it again, okay? And if you didn't get it, ask your children. Your children might be explaining to you. Let's go text number two right here. Mom text number two. <laughs> okay, some of you may have seen this one before. Finally, you've entered the digital age and got a smartphone. How is it? Mom, hello, why aren't you answering? And then you see mom's response right there. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's go to number three. Text number three right here. And this mom, this is a savage mom, okay? This is a mom who knows what she's doing. She's on top of things right here. Mom number three. Mom number three says, I'm leaving for the weekend, so I hit $100 in your room for food. Clean your room and you will find it. And all the moms out there said, oh, that's a great idea. And some of you kids, you may be getting that one here uh, by the end of this weekend. Okay, last one, last one right here. And this one, okay, this one is my favorite. <laughs> this one's my favorite of them all. And this one's kind of long, so I broke it up into two, okay? But the left side is the top of the message and then the right side, okay, is the bottom half of the message. So I'll let you kind of read it right there. Okay, beautiful day, wish you were here. Just look at this view. <laughs> Okay, y'all see it? Y'all get it? <laughs> y'all get it? Y'all get it? <laughs> it's hard for me to gauge when the laughing is over and who's laughing and maybe just crickets right here, but that's our mom text here for today. Let's go back and talk about baptism. <laughs> okay, let's go back and talk about baptism. This is probably a much safer subject right there. I don't know when I said that. I don't know if it was crickets on the other end of this camera, but hey, I am trying my best uh, to keep everybody engaged. But let's go to baptism. That's a subject I know much, much, much more about. And we want to talk about here today, the sacrament of baptism. I want to focus less on where did baptism come from and more on what happens in baptism. And the reason why is because for the most part, okay, most Christians out there, I'm sure that there's some denominations that may not ag agree or may not practice baptism, but for the most part, Christians by the majority practice baptism. They may differ in the way they practice it, but most believe in the practice. Where we differ or where we lack understanding or agreement is not in doing the practice, but in what the practice confers to us. We all agree that baptism is something in Christianity. It's clear to see in the New Testament. I could have brought you many, many, many verses to show that. But the uh, question we want to answer today is, what happens in baptism? So if you grew up in Catholic school, like I did, you heard a lot about baptism and original sin. And this idea that we're born with a sin, okay, and a stain on our souls that needs to be erased for us to enter into heaven, and that's what baptism does, is washes away that stain. If you grew up 
Okay, going to an evangelical church or a Protestant church of some sorts, you heard less about that original sin, maybe. Maybe you heard more about it's a public display of a personal decision. So when I make this decision to follow Christ, I proclaim it to the world. That's why it can be done more than once, because it's really a symbolic act more than anything else. Well, both of those things could be true to a degree, but baptism is so much more. Baptism is more than just a a public proclamation, and it's more than just a washing away of a sin. Baptism for us, I'll give you one verse to kind of encapsulate what it means, and then we'll try to understand a little more detail. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. St. Paul says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So he says it's something having to do with death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So there's this idea of death and life, of something dying and something being born or a new life being started. What is this new life? And what is this newness of life that we should be walking in? Today, what we want to do is we want to talk about two of the benefits of baptism, or I should say the outcomes of baptism. I could have gone 10, 11, 12 deep. There's many things that baptism confers, so this list is not exhausted by any means. But these are simply two things that I want to focus on that come from baptism, the two that I think we, we don't understand or we need to understand a little bit more clearly. I want to focus on these two. I'll talk about the first one probably the majority of the time, okay? So just in case you're kind of watching the clock right there and I'm spending a lot of time on number one, don't worry, okay? Number two will be much briefer, but number one kind of lays the foundation for it, okay? Two benefits or two outcomes or two results of baptism. What is this new life? What is this death and new life all about? The first one, we use a big fancy word, and that word is regeneration, regeneration. And regeneration is just a fancy word that, as you see, it just means to be generated again or created again. Or maybe you've heard the word born again. Now, you know me, usually I try to, I usually shy away from fancy schmancy words, big words with multiple syllables, and I'd rather break it down and go simple. So why in this case, I'm actually shying away from the simple, the word born again, and I want to go with the, the, the bigger word here, the, 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 the word regeneration, and that's for a purpose. Because I'm worried that the word born again has taken on its own meaning, it's taken on a life of its own, and sometimes we don't understand what the word actually means. Does regeneration mean born again? Well, it depends how you define born again. <clears throat> if you define born again as I believe and I accept it, and I made a public proclamation, then I would say to you that born again is much greater because born again does not mean something symbolic. It does not mean something that's representative. It does not mean something intangible. I'm sorry. It does not mean something that is unreal. It may be intangible, but if you look at what Jesus said when he spoke about being born again, about being regenerated, we're going to go to a passage from John chapter three you will see that Jesus's understanding of born again is very different than that kind of symbolic um, definition that sometimes we have. Let's go to John chapter three, a discussion that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was asking him about the kingdom. And Jesus said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, there's that expression, born again. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, 
How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus is like, Jesus, what are you talking about born again? Like, are you serious? Like, you want me to go back in my mother's womb? Clearly, Jesus, you are being symbolic or you're talking like as a metaphor. You're not, clearly you're not serious about something real happening with being born again. Jesus doubles down. Next verse. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, he emphasizes most assuredly or the old English, verily, verily, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So Jesus doubles down. And Jesus says, when I'm saying born again, let me spell it out for you. Born again equals born of water and the spirit. Because the first time he said, unless you're born again, you got no chance in this kingdom. And then Nicodemus is like, ha, ha, ha. What does that mean? That means be born in my mother's womb. Ha, ha, ha. And Jesus said, hold on. Let me spell it out for you. Born again equals born of water and spirit. And he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. What that means is if you want to live on earth, you got to be born of earth. And if you want to be living the kingdom, you have to be born of the kingdom. If you want to live spiritually, you have to be born spiritually. And that is what baptism is all about. This word born, let me give you other examples of where this word, okay, the word in Greek is genio, genio, okay? This word born, genio, is used in Matthew chapter one, where it says that Abraham, begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat uh, Joseph and the rest of his children. So there's the word genio. It's not symbolic. It's not spiritual. It means that Abraham, that Isaac was born, that Isaac was born in a real way. Isaac received life from Abraham, and then Jacob from Isaac, etc., etc. It's also used in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, where the angel came to, Zach came to Zacharias and said to him, your wife Elizabeth, shall bear you a son, Gennio. You shall a son will be born to you and you shall call his name John. Again, not speaking symbolically, not a spiritual son, not, not, not like, a, like a little brother or big brother program, not something like that. Saying you're going to have a real son, something is really going to take place. And that's the same thing Jesus says. To something really has to take place for you to be born of the spirit and to live in the kingdom. John chapter one says it this way. John says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed in his name. That's like the first part, okay? The believe, the accept, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Same word, you. People who accepted and were born. It is clear that something is happening right here, and it is not symbolic. It is real. Now you say, what does it look like? And it's intangible. Well, that's the whole point of a mystery. That's the whole point of what a sacrament is all about. It's something real. We talked about this two weeks ago. Something real is happening, but it's invisible to the naked eye. Doesn't make it unreal. It makes it a mystery. Something which is beyond our comprehension. That's exactly what Jesus is saying right here. In this verse, Jesus is saying, is there are people, starting point, there are people who are alive. And then those people who are alive will believe something. And receive something, like alive in the flesh, I mean. They are alive, but they're not really, they're not living to the fullest yet. There's a different form of life. They're alive. They believe something. They receive something. They accept something. They enter into water. And then they are born to a new life, a higher form of life. 
it's clear that Jesus is talking about something real taking place, not just something symbolic. Because regeneration means two things. Means a new creation with a new nature. It means a new creation with a new nature. The best example of regeneration that you probably can you probably know and can we can think about is a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Okay, that's a perfect picture of regeneration. The caterpillar turns into a butterfly. Let me ask you a question. Before the cocoon, the cocoon would be like the like the type of baptism. So baptism, so you have uh, uh, what you call it? caterpillar, cocoon, butterfly. Okay, and just like you can have a person baptism and I'm born to new life, born again. The caterpillar before he enters the cocoon. Is he alive or not alive? Is he alive or not alive? Kind of both, right? Like he's kind of alive, but he's not really alive. That's kind of like us before and after baptism. Like the caterpillar's alive, but you can't compare his life after butterfly to the life before. And that's kind of like us. Are we alive or not alive before baptism? Yeah, we're alive. But when we are baptized, we are given new life. And that new life, thinking about the caterpillar versus the butterfly, it's not like a caterpillar, you know, like the best caterpillar or like a strong caterpillar or like a brainiac caterpillar who can do math or something like that. It's, it's a whole new creation. Okay, this caterpillar right here, first nature, on his belly. Okay, crawl around. Okay, the butterfly, new nature. Fly around up high, soar uh, up up with the eagles and with the birds. The butterfly eats dirt, eats leaves, okay? Uh, uh, mud and in his face and grass. The butterfly, man, that's up where, where, where the flowers are and eat the nectar, okay? And all that good stuff. Caterpillar, ugly. Nobody ever did an exhibit, okay, on, on, in the zoo about caterpillars. But butterflies... Man, they're majestic, okay? And we love to look at them and collect them and, and look at butterflies, okay, or things like that. Same thing with us. This new nature we're talking about, this new creation is not just a slight improvement of the old. It's not just the old plus one or the old plus 10 or the old plus 100. It's an entirely new life. It's an entirely new nature. It's what St. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where he says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Like the caterpillar to the butterfly, we are born with a human nature. The human nature is corrupt. The human nature is, is limited. Okay, the human nature is death. The human nature is sickness. That's the human nature. And then through baptism, we are born again. We are reborn, regenerated, recreated with a divine nature, a new nature, the nature of God. And that nature is immortal. And that nature is a heal. That was sick, that's healed. That one died, that one lives forever. This new nature is not just a slightly improved of the old, but it's a whole new nature. We're going to look right now at a passage from one of the great orators and fathers of the church, one of the great preachers in Christian history, St. John Chrysostom, who lived, okay, several, several hundreds of years ago, back when the church was one church, okay, back in the fourth and fifth century. 
And he wrote about baptism. He wrote quite a bit. Okay, I'm going to show you a passage right now. It's kind of long, but stick with me. It's so beautiful. His whole point here is that baptism is more than just forgiveness of sins and washing of sins. It's new life. Look what it says. It says, you see how many are the benefits of baptism, and some think its heavenly grace consists only in the remission of sins. But it does not simply take away our sins, nor simply cleanse us from our faults, but so as if we were, there's that word, born again. For it creates and fashions us anew, not forming us again out of earth, but creating us out of another element. That's beautiful. Is that we were created by our mothers, okay, our fathers and our mothers, out of human, out of earthly, out of something that's, that, that's limited, that's corrupt, that's going to die. But now we are created out of a new element, okay? And that new element is completely different. Creating us out of another element, namely the nature of water, for it does not simply wipe the vessel clean, but entirely remolds it again. For that which is wiped clean, even if it be cleaned with care, has traces of its former condition and bears the remains of its defilement. Basically saying is if all we were were washed clean, that wouldn't do us that much good. But that which falls into the new mold, which is the new creation, and is renewed by means of the flames, comes forth from the furnace and sends forth the same brilliancy with things newly formed. As therefore anyone who takes and recasts a golden statue, which has been tarnished by time, smoke, dust, rust, restores it to us thoroughly cleansed and glistening, so too this nature of ours, rusted with the rust of sin, and having gathered much smoke from our faults, and having lost its beauty, which he had, which he had from the beginning bestowed upon it from himself, God has taken and cast anew, meaning taken our nature and cast it anew, throwing it into the waters as into a mold, and instead of fire, sending forth the grace of the Spirit. Then he brings us forth with much brightness, renewed and made afresh, to rival the beams of the sun, having crushed the old man, and having fashioned a new man more brilliant than the former. That's just a small excerpt from a very long passage where St. John Chrysostom here talks about the beauty and the brilliance and what happens to us in baptism and the majesty and the glory. And you look at that and say, come on, all that from just a bucket of water, all that from just oil and water and some prayers and the baby crying and the whatnot, that's that. Well, I say to you this, if the natural process, the cocoon for the butterfly, if the natural process can make such a stark difference, a natural process can make such a stark difference, butter, caterpillar, caterpillar to butterfly, how much more so a divine process by God himself. Now, as I said a minute ago, it's not easy to understand. This is hard for us to grasp. And I realize that some of us were trying our best, but this is a hard concept because this is very intangible. This is very abstract. We don't like the idea that things are changing, but we don't see a difference. How do I know? That's what we always want to say is how do I know things are different? See, we like things that when there's a change, there's an outward change that goes with it. So you graduate medical school, you're just a student, now you're a doctor, you get the white coat. The white coat says you're the real deal. No white coat, no doctor. White coat, real deal. You are a priest, okay? You go from wearing a suit or a tie or whatever it is, then you get the black robe. The black robe shows me there's something different that happened to this person. Even superheroes, even superheroes, when Spider-Man became Spider-Man, he had to have the suit, like just out of decency. Like you can't just be a Spider-Man running around in jeans. Can you imagine him fighting the goblin guy with the jeans? No, he needed the suit because the inside change 
is reflected in the outside change. But baptism, no. Baptism, you look the same. You go in the water, you come out the same. So you know what? Like, I get your Father Anthony, I'm sure it's something special, but come on. It's just water. It's just, and I know people who are baptized who are miserable people, who are horrible people, who are very sinful people. First of all, Jesus, as we saw earlier, made a big deal out of baptism and said, without it, no kingdom. And without it, cannot see it. And without it, not born spiritually. The early church made a big deal out of baptism. St. Paul made a big deal out of baptism. St. Peter, on the day where he preached on Pentecost, said, believe, repent, and be baptized. The early church made a big deal out of baptism. This is an important point. Not because they understood it, and not because they could explain it, as much as because they were told it by the master himself. And this idea of, I don't understand, so therefore, it's probably not true, or it can't be true. This is a new concept. This is the epitome of human arrogance, where if it doesn't make sense to me, if I don't understand it, then it can't be true. Example. I have two children. My son, Michael, and my daughter, Elizabeth. When Michael was born, my older, both of my children, actually, were born, okay, my wife had a C-section, okay, where they cut you open, they pulled the baby out. And as any good husband, all right, what they do for any husbands who, anyone who's had a C-section, okay, what they do is they lie the woman down on the table, all right, and then they put the curtain over like the middle, like her stomach, okay? And then on that side, that's where all the action happens. On this side is just where she's sitting and I'm supposed to be behind her and like, you know, encouraging her or, you know, sing a song. Or I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know what I was doing. What I was doing was peeking over the curtain to see what's going on, on the other side. And I was telling Marianne, I'm like, Marianne, you have no idea what they're doing to you. And I'm like, oh, oh, you, you have no idea what they're doing to you, okay? Because what I, what I was seeing is they would open her up. It was like those alien movies. They cut you open, okay? And they start to remove, this is what I said, okay? I realized, okay, just, what I said is, they're taking all your stuff out on the inside and they're like pulling stuff out. And I'm like, oh no, Marianne, they just took out your pancreas. And oh no, Marianne, there goes your, 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 your epidermis. And oh no, Marianne. And I started saying all this stuff and all these medical things. Well, those who are doctors or who have a seventh grade education okay, probably realize what I realized after the fact, which is that none of that stuff that I just said was true, is that there is no pancreas component of a C-section and the epidermis, which is just a word I think I heard on ER or whatever it was, okay? I think the epidermis just means skin or hair or whatever it means. I just heard it on a TV show, but I was trying to sound smart. <laughs> now, listen carefully. Obviously, my understanding of what was happening was a little bit off. Obviously, just a little bit off. But did that lack of understanding make the reality any less true? Did the fact that I had no idea what was going on, and in fact, I had a very weird misconception of what was going on, did that change the reality of the fact of what was really taking place? You'd say, of course not. Not understanding doesn't mean not happening. It just means I don't understand. And there's so many things in life that we don't understand. That doesn't make them any less real. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 through 7 says, According to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
Look, if you're going to limit your life to only what you understand, that's a miserable existence. I don't understand why God loves me. I don't understand why God forgives me. I don't understand why God shows me grace. And I certainly don't understand why I, according to Titus chapter 3, am an heir of God. And that gets us to our second benefit, our second outcome of baptism, which is this, that because of baptism, I receive adoption, adoption into the family of God, that Christianity isn't just about what I believe, it's about what I belong to. And through baptism, I belong to something special, a special family, the family of God. Now, I assume that everyone watching this is probably familiar with the movie Annie. Um, yeah, there's two versions of it. There was like the one that came out a few years ago with Jamie Foxx. And then there was like the old school one with the guy who looked like Mr. Clean. Either way. Okay. Both of the, the, the stories are the same. It's about a little orphan girl who gets, uh, discovered or, or, or adopted, I should say by this rich daddy Warbucks guy. And she becomes the daughter of the richest man on the planet. Now walk with me here. Little Orphan Annie is a poor girl, poor, poor girl, poor girl, poor girl, poor girl. And then a paper gets signed and it's just a piece of paper. But the minute, the minute that the paper is signed, she's the richest person on the planet. It's not the paper that has the value, but it's what is conferred through that paper, which is her adoption. It's the same way, okay, with baptism and us. It's not the water that makes us anything. It's just water. It's just oil. But the same way that a normal piece of paper, when signed by that big rich guy, that paper confers sonship or daughtership in this case to little orphan Annie. It's the same way that water, it's not the water that makes us heirs of God. It's the grace of God, the kindness of God, the goodness of God, the love of God. But that kindness, goodness, and love and grace of God is conferred how? Through that or through the water, I was about to say the paper, through the water. I mean, there's a certificate, but it's more the water than the certificate. It's, it's conveyed through the water. And you would say, why through the water? Like what's special in the water? And I'm going to say, just like I said a minute ago, I don't know. I don't know why God chose water to convey new life or adoption. Just same way. I don't know why God chose bread to convey his body and, his, and wine to convey his blood. I don't know why God chose breath to give me priesthood. Okay. I'm not here to make the rules. I'm the servant. I'm not the master. My job is not to uh, make rules. My job is to obey the rules. And just like I said a minute ago, not understanding doesn't make it any less real. When I was in that operating room, I had my ideas. Okay, hey, doc, this is the best way we should get that baby out of there, you know, and we should leave the pancreas alone and don't go near the epidermis. And, but it's not about that, okay? I went in there and I quickly decided he's the doctor. He's the one who went to medical school. He's the one who's done this a million times. He's the smartest guy in the room. So you know what? Whatever you say, doc. You say pancreas goes out, pancreas goes out. You say, you husband, keep your mouth shut and stay on that side. I say, yes, sir. You're the smartest guy in the room. Well, when it comes to the spiritual life, when it comes to life in general, when it comes to everything, Jesus is the smartest guy in the room. The guy who died and rose from the dead, actually the guy who predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off. That's the smartest guy in the room. And what he says is that through water, is conveyed to us, not just regeneration, creation, and life, but as adoption, that I become an heir, an heir of God. Look what it says right here in Romans 8, verse 16 and 17. We are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God 
and joint heirs with Christ. Wow, that's an incredible verse. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So I want to be very explicit and very blunt. And I want to say it this way, that adoption through baptism, adoption means I am an heir with Christ. You may not realize it, but did you know that right now you are in the presence, virtually of course, okay, of royalty? I am high class. I am an heir of the richest, richest, richest person on the planet. And you may not be able to tell it by looking at the size of my house or, or the kind of car I drive or, or, you know, the socks that I have with holes in them right now. You may not be able to tell it, but I am an heir to a royal throne. And so are you if you entered that water into baptism. And if you believed <clears throat> and you were born of water and spirit, that font, that baptistry, when we exited that water, everything changed for us. Just again, like Orphan Annie, paper signed, life different for us, for me and you. Entered that water, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, everything changed. Let me tell you what it means that you're an heir. Let me give you a verse right here that shows you what your part of your inheritance is. Ephesians 1 verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, to himself. <clears throat> Usually an inheritance is something that happens after you or like at the end of your life, like when, when, when end of the person's life. But the beautiful thing about this inheritance is we get it right now. And right now we have received every spiritual blessing. May not be the richest people financially, but spiritually through baptism, every spiritual blessing. Do you know what that means? That means that you have access to Peace which surpasses all understanding to guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You have access to love which, which is unconditional and which will never run out more, like the ocean might run out before the love of God will run out. You have access to joy, unthinkable, unstealable joy which no man can take from you. You have access to an advocate up in the highest places to advocate and defend on your behalf. You have access to power to trample on serpents and scorpions and upon all the power of the enemy. You have access to forgiveness, Forgiveness so sweet, forgiveness so abundant as far as the East is from the West. You and me and anyone who has received the gift of adoption through baptism has access to all that. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to achieve it. Access is different than fulfillment. It's not really our topic here for today. But if you think about it this way, little orphan Annie entered into that house with Big Daddy Warbucks. She had access to everything. All the cabinets were hers. All the food is hers. That doesn't mean she's going to eat a nutritious meal. She has to do two things in order to, to receive the fulfillment of, those, of, of the, the potential. She has to believe and she has to, to take action. Believe and act. That's what she had to do. If, if, if someone was able to convince her, no, 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 this whole thing with Daddy Warbucks, it's just a prank. Okay, he doesn't really love you. That stuff is not really yours. And she didn't believe that she was a child of, of the rich man. She'd walked out of there. She'd have lived as poor. And that'd have been a sad story. Or if she believed, but she was too lazy to get up and do something about it. Either way, she wouldn't receive. The potential was there, but she wouldn't have achieved any of it. Same thing is true with baptism. Baptism doesn't mean that we will live as kings and rulers, spiritual rulers. What baptism means is we have access to all the same things that Christ had and has because we are heirs with Christ. Said another way, it's through baptism, <clears throat> the grace of God. We become by grace what Christ is by nature. We become by grace what Christ is by nature. 
that who he is by nature, okay, who he is by his very nature, didn't have to do anything. He is by nature. We get to participate in and partake of, not because of our nature, but because of his grace. Said another way. I, and for all those who are baptized, but speak about myself, I was born twice. First, I was born from my mother and my father, and I became a Mesa, Mesa family. And then later, I was born of my spiritual father, God, and my spiritual mother, the church. And I received a new name as part of a new family. And that's the family of Jesus Christ. That's the Christian family. That's the church. And that second birth is the defining moment of my life and anyone else who calls themselves a Christian as well. And again, may not understand it, but certainly doesn't diminish the reality that we receive by grace what Christ is by nature or who he is by nature. Now, some of you are out there and say, well, what, what about those who are not baptized? And I realize that's a question. What about those not baptized? And I'll answer that real quick. That's not my job to figure out. That's way above my pay grade. My job is not to figure out what happens to people who are not baptized. I'll leave that up to God. God doesn't like it when people sit in his chair and pretend that they know about judgment. So that's, I'm going to leave that one to people who, who, who are much smarter than me. I'm going to leave that one to God. My concern is never who gets into heaven. Does that person get in heaven? Does that person get in heaven? My concern is never who gets into heaven. My concern is how do we live on this earth? And what did God command us to do? What did Jesus tell us is the way to be adopted as his son to be regenerated and recreated with a new nature. And he told us that is baptism. So I'm going to sit here from the day, from here to the day that I go, you're never going to hear me say this person is going to make it heaven. This person is not going to make it heaven. That's not my job. That's God's job. But what you will hear me say is the benefit of baptism and what Jesus has taught about baptism and why I wish everyone would participate in baptism because it is how we partake in the divine nature and share the life of Christ and receive by grace what he is by nature. And I wish that for everyone. Galatians chapter three, verse 26 through 29 sums it up for us like this. For, we are, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's that participation in the divine nature. Put on Christ by grace what he is by nature. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the church. And if you are Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, if you are not baptized, <clears throat> if you are not baptized, my message to you, just like Jesus said to so many people when he was walking on this earth, is come and see. Come and see. Maybe Christianity is about more than just believing. Maybe it's about belonging. Maybe it's about being part of something a family, a body. Maybe the church, even though you may have had bad experiences in the past, maybe the church is more than just a social club. Even though, again, maybe that was your experience. That's not the reality. The church itself is a sacrament. The church is a sacrament because the church is a mystery of God dwelling in man. And everything we do in the church, the sacrament specifically, but everything we do in the church, the life of the church is one mystical experience where God dwells in man and man can participate in the life of Christ. Man cannot, doesn't just have to pray to God and it's not just uh, um, communication going back and forth. Man is sharing. Man is doing something. 
Just like we looked at in the first week of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, that he wasn't just preaching to them and them listening, but they were sharing, they were participating, partaking in that divine nature. And if that's you, I'll invite you to, to, like I said, come and see, take a step. You can go on our website, stsa.church, that's stsa.church, and we created a special place right on the front page called Find Out More. And there we created several videos where Father Timothy and myself, just two-minute videos where we explain what it means to be part of the body of Christ and what does it mean to belong. And there's even a section on there at the bottom where you can submit a question that you would like us to answer in a future video. So I encourage you, check that out, and you never know, maybe, maybe, God has more in store for you than you may have realized. And for those who are baptized, who are part of the church, I hope today helped you see the magnitude of what it is that we were given. And I hope, like I said with Little Orphan Annie, that we realize our potential and we live as rich. We were not made to live as caterpillars. We were made to soar above as butterflies. And the vehicle by which all that begins is baptism. And I'll leave you with this thought. That in baptism... Baptism is all about two things, who I am and whose I am, who I am, my nature, new creation, regeneration, and whose I am adopted into his family. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the church and the sacraments that you've given to us. We pray, Lord, you would help guide us, each one of us, wherever we are, we're all at different places. If you would guide us, Lord, and how to deepen our relationship with you and just show us, Lord, what the next one step is. If we're, if we're outside the church, help us see the next step in. And if we're inside, help us see the next step deeper in so that we can all reach that perfect place where we are participating in your divine nature. We pray this in the name of your Son, the intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Once again, I'm going to leave three questions up here on the screen. And this gives you a chance to keep the conversation going with your friends, your family, your loved ones. Either way, have a great week. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. We'll hopefully see you back next week.